Welcome to the Sum of It All Street Data Podcast. I'm Audrey Mendeville, along with my colleague Mark Alcorn from the San Diego County Office of Education. And this season, we're exploring the book Street Data, a next generation model for equity, pedagogy, and school transformation by Shane Safir and Jamila Duggan. Transcripts to our podcast are always available for you in the episode notes on your favorite platform. This week, we are chatting about chapter two, No Shortcut, Avoiding Traps and Tropes. Yeah, and Audrey, as we get into this conversation, uh, I have to say that the chapter reminded me of a conversation we've had many times. And I think you'll know what I'm referring to is uh, we, you know, this idea of our educational system and, and this conversation we've had about whether we just need to tweak a couple things, right? You know, we just need to tweak a couple things of our system and, and that will make it more equitable for our students. Or does it need to be thrown out and begun again? And if so, what does that look like? Um, and the quote at the start of this chapter from Bettina Love really pushes us toward getting to the roots of some of the things that have caused the inequity, not so much trimming around the edges, right? And here's the quote, abolitionists want to remove what is oppressive, not reform it, not reimagine it, but remove oppression by its roots. Mm -hmm. Such a powerful quote to start the chapter, Audrey. So powerful and so, so timely for me. I was literally out yesterday working in the garden and my daughter decided to join me. Um, and I was busy taking out weeds and she just really, as most young kids do, was like, oh, I can do this too, right? And right. she starts trying to rip out weeds by the stem. And so I spent time enjoying our conversation, but sharing with her how we have to weed more deeply than that. We can't just rip off the stem or the, the part that's flowering that we really have to spend time digging out the roots of the weed. Um, and, and that otherwise the weed just grows back really quickly. And, you know, as I sat there talking to her about that, this, this, this image came so strongly from this quote from Bettina Love that, that there's, there's a desire to just kind of come through with those shortcuts of just plucking out very quickly all mm. of the things that seem oppressive or to be perpetuating inequity but that when we don't remove it by the roots it is just poised to come back again so quickly and so this idea about not taking shortcuts taking the time to really weed it out is is just so vivid for me and i'm so appreciative of of that quote yeah i i agree i think it's a good push i think the the thing that nudges me away from that sometimes is, you know, we're both very practical people. We pride ourselves in really supporting educators and having very practical steps to take. Um, but I, I really appreciate uh, us being given some caution in, in doing that. And, you know, as, as we get into this discussion about the chapter, Audrey, this whole notion of tropes and traps that, have, that, that are things that we need to be on the lookout for, are are really important because that can help us to start to think about why we need to pause and not just run into um, thinking we need to uh, take steps right away without really taking some time to think about um, all the implications. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, Audrey, it might be helpful to, to think about first, like, what would this new system look like? Because it's it's easy to say, oh, we just don't want to tweak things. We want to start over again. But like, we should really stop and think about what we're talking about rather than just sort of making these these statements right um and there's really a nice description from dr dugan uh in chapter two 
And uh, she says, imagine a world where school feeds our innate creativity and where educators and students have the time to co-construct a vision for learning, not driven by mandates and test scores, but by their deepest hopes and dreams for the future. And Audrey, that quote so reminds me with the intentions of Universal Design for Learning, UDL, this idea of co-constructed goals with adults and students working together um, and having this uh, idea of, a little bit later in the quote, it says school and district leaders would see their work as removing barriers to teacher and student prosperity. So this idea of that being the end goal and what are the barriers to achieve that? Um, I think we mentioned in a previous episode, just that instead of the test scores being the goal, I think is really, really interesting to think about of, of this new system. Yeah, and I appreciate that, even that notion of that, maybe that's a nice fit with the universal design for learning, that idea of like a co-constructed goal and removing barriers and, and that. You know, this reframing is such an interesting thing to think about. Like, um, part of what she says is near the quote that you shared is that, and, and yet something doesn't feel right. You know, that we're mm. in this constant air of discomfort is another way she's described it because we're both striving to achieve in a system um, where I think she even talks about it being like the gold star for mm. being a successful school. But then we look up and we're like, does that actually mean anything? Like, is it the right kind of success? Is Are we aiming at the wrong thing altogether? Um, has this idea of success that's been defined for us, is that really, is that really what we want for our kids? Um, and so that's really pushing at me as you're, as you're talking about what, what would this look like? Yeah, and I think just that, that whole idea of well-being and test scores, standardized test scores, those things seem to just, those two phrases don't even seem to coincide together. I mean, it's just, you think about all the trauma that goes around the idea of labeling students with scores. And I, I just really am, I'm, I'm really thinking a lot about juxtaposing that with well-being of students and teachers. I think that's, there's something there, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, part of what maybe is limiting for it's difficult for me, it's not limiting, but difficult for me is that it's possible that we're talking about school in a way that's so beautiful that I I can't even imagine it yet. You know, like yeah. I'm so living in the fog of what our current reality is that when she talks about ripping it out, ripping out oppression from the roots, like we're really talking about doing something completely different. Um, and so maybe it's maybe I'm living beyond what my imagination can do right now, mm. but I'm excited and about the fact that you know she even ends the chapter later and saying but i've seen this and so i want to see what she sees and experience it and think about that um and along that way you know the authors take time to define equity on page 29 and remind us that equity is not a destination um but an unwavering commitment to a journey what did you think about this idea about working towards equity mark uh, I really, really appreciate it because it really does push back on some of the things that we've seen over the years in terms of an attempt to work toward equity. Um, I really, I really appreciate that as a real pause and make sure that we're thinking about a destination. And it really makes me think about daily actions, really getting down to the daily actions. And they mentioned that in, in, the, in the chapter. Um, and it has even made me think about like, how am I auditing my daily actions? How am I having a reflection on the daily practice and how equitable it was? Um, and 
I think maybe a possible way, Audrey, that that folks could do this. I know I'm interested in 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 looking at this. Is on page 29. There's some bullets, and of course, this book is not written with specifically math education in mind. But what I did with some of those bullets, Audrey, is I I inserted math into the context. So see what you think about this. I'm going to just read them with some um, with math as the context. Which systems in math are designed to perpetuate disparities in outcomes for marginalized students? And then the second question is, where are there opportunities when planning and facilitating math instruction to examine personal identity bias that continues inequity, especially among me as the, as the teacher? Uh, next, how in, math how in math instruction could we reallocate resources? And finally, how in math do we cultivate the unique gifts, talents, and interests that every person possesses? So Audrey, I was just thinking of like, I'm asking myself those questions as I'm thinking about my students in front of me for math mathematics instruction. I'm thinking how that might push on my daily actions in equity. Yeah. I appreciate that, Mark. You know, and these are great questions and and I appreciate the idea of daily action, but I also imagine myself answering them and being off to the races trying to fix something. Because um, um, yeah. this pull towards like coming up with a solution is so strong. Yeah. Um, and I feel like the authors are almost cautioning us against that race because of these traps and tropes that we fall into time and time again. Yeah, I, I I think that that's 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 a great point, and maybe this is a good point to define uh, those terms as the authors have done in chapter two. Um, they mentioned that a trap is a mechanism or device designed to catch and retain. It quickly allows entry, but does not allow exit. And they define a trope is a reoccurring theme that we've seen before. Those are helpful. So just like in chapter one, um, as we kind of dive into those words a little bit further, this chapter ends with a series of reflection questions. And I think it would be great if we tackle a couple of these again for our discussion on this episode, uh, again, with our slight modifications of our lens of thinking about this through the idea of math education. Um, so Mark, is there one in particular that you think we should start with? Yeah, I, I think if we take one of those reflection questions and make it specific to mathematics, uh, one that we could start with is, where do you see a trap or trope playing out in the space of teaching and learning mathematics? Awesome. Yeah, that was definitely one that I starred on my on my <laughs> list too. You know, cool. um, and just to start us off, this the very first uh, trope that they put there is this idea of doing equity. Um, that um, when something's not working, you need to do something else. And they literally list, you get a new framework, you get a new checklist, you have a new approach. And I read those and I wrote in the margin, ouch, um, because <laughs> we do this in math education all the time. Like, oh, kids aren't talking enough, let's grab a framework for that. Oh, kids aren't doing enough on their tasks, let's grab a checklist for that. Oh, kids aren't, right? And we just grab the next thing mm -hmm. to do. Um, and so I appreciate that, like, it's not that those things inherently are bad, but that scholars, they say, have cautioned against this because working towards equity is, is not a journey of implementation. Like that just stuck with me. Yeah, yeah, no, great points on that one, Audrey. Um, another, another one of them that they identify is called blanket equity. And 
Um, I, I really, that one resonated with me as this idea of trusting in a particular math program to, to quote unquote, close the gap. You know, like if we just use this math program and teach it with strict fidelity, um, that we're going to lift up all of our students and kind of that blanket approach with that. And so I, boy, I thought of, uh, curriculum in mathematics as, as, as one of those things for sure. Yeah, I, I, I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that one. You know, this idea, um, and we see it locally, we see it across the state, we see it, we see it all over the place that our schools and districts are making what they call in the book, the quote is sweeping investments in buying oh. new curriculum, Yep. hoping that if educators just follow the material, all students will achieve, you know, mm -hmm. and, and Mark, I, I know that what we see happen with that is that we see this then this crazy focus on fidelity to the materials right yeah. and then mm -hmm. there becomes accountability like you're not on the right page on the same day as everyone else right, right. and right. it's not that those things are bad but if those things could have solved our problems they would have already and they mm -hmm. don't right mm -hmm. because all of our right. students aren't the same we can't teach um something that's static like a curriculum the same to every child and expect that that's that's the thing that's going to dismantle inequitable practices so that one really stuck with me is is not that curriculum is bad not that having it or following it is bad but that <laughs> right. believing that that is the thing yeah. that's going to change inequities in your system is false uh, yeah well said audrey uh, another phrase that they use that we should be cautious of um is this idea of boomerang equity mm. um and what that one reminded me of is when we spend a lot of time and resources in promoting math equity and then we revert back to previous mental models that lead to harm yes um, right yes so like we have this we spend all this time sitting down thinking about like what are the problems what are the challenges and we go through all of this like work about trying to very, you know, really understand the issue, the root cause of what's going on. Sure. But then when we come up to the space of like doing something, we brainstorm solutions that look like everything we've done before. <laughs> right. right. And so, you know, the authors again point out, uh, this is this was the part I underlined in that section. Our sense of urgency gets in the way of understanding complexity. And so for me, like this is what it looks like with much of our math intervention work when we are like, yeah, we understand there are certain inequities in our system. Here's the data. Here's what, let's have an extra class. Right. And it's like, yeah, people have done that before. It doesn't like the extra class in and of itself is not the solution because we run to it very quickly back to the same idea we've tried before, thinking it's going to get us different results. Do you see this in other spaces? Oh, yeah, for sure. What you're saying right now, it just takes me right into my elementary work and my elementary teaching with this idea of leveled groups in math, mm. like this high, medium and low groups in mathematics. And the, again, this this same old idea of kids need to things at a slower pace, lots of practice. They need to be shown what to do and how to think. And if they're not in my group, they're going to fall further behind. Um, they are not ready to work at the speed of the other kids. All these notions that drive that uh, 
identifying kids and labeling kids with deficit labels and, and putting them in these types of group settings um, is again, that thing that we do over and over and over again. And, and instead of pressing pause with that, um, it actually also reminds me of when we do whole class discussions in mathematics. Um, we have these, these patterns where the teacher asks a question and a student answers it and the teacher evaluates this question. And, and yes, we decide to say, wait a second, let's not just do it that way. We'll have something called equity sticks. Mm -hmm. Well, we'll randomly call on students, and, but we still use the same pattern. We still have gotcha moments where teachers are asking kids questions that are not really questions. They're guess what's in my head questions so that you repeat to me what I'm thinking. And so we, we encourage stereotype threat and other microaggressions. And instead of addressing that pattern in our discussions and our whole group discussion during mathematics, we just change the way we do the discussion, but keep the microaggressions. So um, Audrey, I, all that really resonates with me uh, mm. as we look at uh, our authors, uh, what, they've, what they're having us tackle, right? Yeah, those are some great examples, Mark, of that boomerang boomerang equity trope um you know another reflection question i saw at the end that i think might be interesting for us to chat about for just a little while as well is this very similar question but with a new group of people in mind so what traps and tropes might students and families identify in their learning of mathematics and do you think they're the same or different as the traps and tropes that that we were just talking about yeah, that's 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 a great question, Audrey. Um, in in considering that when I was reading the chapter, boy, it just really took me back to my parent conferences as a teacher. Uh, when I when I was teaching elementary school, you know, something struck me on page twenty seven when Dr. Jamila Jamila Dugan was explaining how could this black boy, full of curiosity, joy, and potential, be starting to dislike school in the third grade? Mm -hmm. Gosh, such mm -hmm. a profound statement there by the author. And it took me back to thinking about like how many occasions when I was leading a parent conference that I was not really trying to find out about the brilliance of the students that my wonderful parents were entrusting me with their children. Um, I was only focused on like they, what they were struggling in school with, like what, what are the things that I need to make sure that I identify and do a good job explaining to parents about where their student is falling short. Um, instead, how could I have lifted up the importance of the family to help me understand more about their student with all of their gifts um, that their parents, I'm sure, were very aware of, right? Um, instead of me showing up and trying to explain to them why they were behind and in a very well-meaning way and trying to provide supports and what I'm going to do, what we can do. Um, I'm not saying any of that is, is wrong to do, but I believe that this is a good reminder that we have to leverage our parents' knowledge of their children and of the brilliance all of their children that are showing that may, we may not be aware of in school, if that makes sense. Yeah, I appreciate that, Mark. Um, I really do. You know, as a, as a parent, um, I can see from where I sit in a school system with my own children, I can see in the inequities of the schools, right? I can see how 
certain kids are treated differently, how there's different expectations, hmm. all the ways our system perpetuates privilege for certain kids and disadvantage um, and marginalize other kids. And what I, I guess I wonder about is whether or not family members and children of the children in the schools, you know, like the parents, the families, how or should they be made aware of what equity work is happening inside the school? Does that make sense? Like, yeah, well, I've, yeah. I've sat as a teacher in doing equity work as a teacher in a faculty, thinking through our system and how we're going to, you know, like, what are we doing? Can we identify our own bias? Can we think about these things? But I never at that point thought about whether or not I was needed to be fully transparent with the parents who were sitting right. as stakeholders in that same environment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so like, I can understand that like, it feels it feels so vulnerable to share like, hey, we don't know how to, we're recognizing there's this, but we don't know how to deal with this or here's what we're trying. But I realized as this question came up, like, I I don't know if I could say that I know if the schools that my kids go to, if they're falling into any of these traps and tropes, because I'm not completely sure what they're doing about the inequities that we see. And I'm not, I, I can't assume that they're not doing anything. I just don't know it, right? Like it's not a full transparency in that space. And and I'm wondering at this point, should it be or should it not be? I'm sure there's reasons for both. But um, as I read this question, I really got stuck there because I realized how complex that is to be both the member of the faculty or inside the school trying to work on something. And yet now being on the outside of it with my own kids and realizing there's different information those two groups have. Yeah, Audrey, I, I think it's really important that you share that perspective as a parent, because I think as educators, we can think about what you've thrown out there and, and, and use that as a reflective tool in whatever system we work in, whether it be a school or a district. And yeah, that's something we really need to, to consider. Uh, Audrey, you know, as we wrap up this episode, uh, let's go back to the title of the chapter. And I think it it it's sort of a really mm -hmm. Uh, kind of a, uh, a way of summarizing what we've talked about uh, here in this episode. And the title is No Shortcut. And doesn't it really sum up our conversation, Audrey? Yeah, it does, Mark. You know, this isn't easy work. I don't think the authors are trying to sell us that this is easy. Um, but I keep going back, you know, how you opened it with this dream of what could this be? Mm. And, you know, I, I read what the authors write like this, it entices me to really think deeply about how I contribute to doing this work. How do I keep on doing this difficult work? How do I keep moving forward in this journey? Um, because that dream of what school could be for all of our kids is, mm -hmm. is so beautiful. Yeah, uh, well put. Uh, and I'd say, Audrey, that I, I agree that I don't, we don't want to take shortcuts. That's, that's for sure. Um, but I also don't want to make sure that we're losing the urgency of this work and, and continue to move forward, as you said. So I, I just want to make sure that we, we can't let the idea of no shortcuts let us off the hook of doing this complex, important work. Mm, well said. There's a nice balance there, Mark. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode. In our next episode, we will chat about chapter three, flip the dashboard street data drives equity until then send us a tweet with the hashtag some math chat that's hashtag s-u-m-m-a-t-h-c-h-a-t
with your questions and thoughts. We'll keep the conversation going there. Until then, best wishes on transforming education. <music>